0: To the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at at americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection.
1: inspiring GCs, whether you're in law school, private practice, government, or in-house, you're in the right place. My name is David Hamm, and I'm the co-chair of the in-house subcommittee of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee. More importantly, I share your aspiration of one day becoming a general counsel. But like many of you, I'm not sure how to get there. That's where Conversations with GCs comes in. The purpose of the podcast is to help aspiring GCs find the practical and actionable advice that they've been looking for. To that end, we'll be having conversations with leading GCs for the purpose of exploring the path that led them to the role of GC, essential skills and characteristics for being a successful GC, current GC hot topics, and practical and actionable advice for aspiring GCs. Before we start the conversation, one quick request. We'd love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dphamm at gmail.com. That's dphamm at gmail.com. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by Brady Long. Brady is Executive Vice President and General Counsel of Transocean, a leading international provider of offshore contract drilling services for oil and gas wells. Before joining Transocean in 2015, Brady served as the Vice President and General Counsel at NSCO PLC and at Pride International. Prior to his time at Pride International, Brady was an attorney at BJ Services focusing on corporate and securities matters. Before making the leap to in-house practice, he was an associate at Bracewell LLP. Brady earned his undergraduate degree from BYU, his JD from the University of Texas School of Law, and his LLM in taxation from NYU. Brady, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and insights for aspiring GCs.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So I want to start with the path that led you to the role of GC. And I guess, you know, before we maybe get to law school and private practice, you know, when did you get the inkling that law was something you wanted to do? Was it from kindergarten or kind of later in life?
0: Oh, I'd say it was in college when I was you know, starting to think about what I really wanted to do with my life. Right. I knew I liked to research and write and I liked to uh, you know, do public speaking and I was just drawn uh, toward law because I had an interest in politics um, from you know, my, my years in high school. And so uh, it just seemed like the natural thing to do, to, to at least evaluate going to law school. I took the LSAT, did well enough, and uh, the rest, I suppose, is just the way it unfolded.
1: <laughs> That's fair enough. And then once you got to law school, I, I don't know if you're like me or you had a more kind of tailored focus. Um, were you just thinking about getting that first clerkship or did you have the the Brady Long master plan of how I'm going to be a GC one day?
0: Uh, no, there was no master plan. I just kind of, um, you know, fo- followed the the, the uh, curiosities and interests that arose as as. Um, i chose my classes i had a hard time narrowing down my interests i enjoyed just about every class i took i think the exception was probably civil procedure right <laughs> but uh, most uh, most of the other classes all the other classes really from admiralty to um, you know torts uh, you know product liability um, tax i enjoyed everything and so you know, trial advocacy and so um, eventually i started to kind of gravitate toward corporate securities because i just found it fascinating and it put me uh, a lot closer to uh, an area that I was just fascinated with. And that is, again, kind of the commercial and transactional world.
1: Yeah, fair enough. So you, you're kind of tailoring into corporate and securities. Was there a robust uh, offering in, in law school in that area? Or um, did you have one professor, one class, and you were hooked? You know,
0: good question. I, I, there was a robust offering at uh, University of Texas. And... Um, it's probably comparable to what's in most law schools. Um, you know, there's a lot of great classes out there. And I was just fortunate enough to uh, take them and, and really
1: find them fascinating, interesting. Um, and I just, you know, again, it just kind of developed from there. Got it. So then, so I guess, Bracewell, you, you were in the corporate insecurities um, section as an associate as, as when you started out. Is that, is that right?
0: Yes. Okay. Corporate
1: and uh, securities, correct. Okay, and then was the practice pretty pretty broad, or did you have a particular focus?
0: You know, it it was a pretty uh, broad base of experience. You know, lots of M and A, securities offerings, and financings, and um, a fair amount of uh, securities law compliance and governance issues. So I came out of law school in '99 and um, braced like many firms, uh, did a lot of work for Enron, and so. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was by no means, you know, close to the action there in terms of, you know, knowing the players and, and the issues. But I did work on a few Enron projects and um, I, I was able to observe just like everyone else was really in Houston and the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the governance and and, and compliance issues that uh, were at the heart of, of that disaster. And as a result of that, and also being, you know, a young associate back when Sarbanes actually came out, I kind of grew up with Sarbanes Oxley, and so uh, things that were maybe unfamiliar to you know 10, 20, 30 year lawyers, who of course were infinitely more prepared to to uh, absorb the, the new uh, regulations and laws uh, than I was, because I was again so inexperienced. I, I at least I, I didn't know any differently. To me, it was it was always we were always kind of in a Sarbanes Oxley world and a post Enron world. That was the only world I knew, and so uh, I suppose that was a good time to kind of get started because again it was it was really a blank slate for me and i was able to fill it up
1: you know, it's funny you say that I, i've heard that so many times um some lawyers that i've practiced with who were you know tax lawyers were around in you know let's say 1986 yeah <laughs> when 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 all that was changed and they cut their teeth on the new language and and were kind of ahead um ironically from those who had been practicing for decades because that that's all they knew so it, interesting a bit of timing there good good timing on your part
0: yeah, well, you know, it, yeah, I, I suppose we all go through some of those, and and it, just as those tax lawyers have had to relearn the way things work now, yeah. right? Yeah, um, you know, we're we're always adapting, and so yep. there are lots of things that are absolutely requiring us to
1: continue to expand our areas of expertise. So, so yeah. uh, plenty more work to do on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess ESG is is one of those fronts right now, with uh, the commissioner seeming daily uh, giving giving speeches. So, uh, all, to your point, the tide's always changing.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Right. I mean, I, I'm also, you know, I was on the, the, you know, the, the beginning of the, the proxy statement reforms. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I started out in 99, I can remember looking through proxy statements that were maybe, I don't know, 30 pages long. Yeah. And now we're up to 70, 80 pages in a lot of these cases with compensation, discussion and analysis. Right. And and it won't be long before, you know, 10Ks include not only more ESG disclosures, but a lot of cybersecurity disclosures, right? That, that seems to be a, a hot topic and it should be. And so so right it's, you know, it, I, I think, you know, one of the, the main themes of my career, and this probably applies to everybody who's listening is that you, you've got to maintain a, a focus on adapting, right? You Damn. can't just get, you know, comfortable and rest on your laurels you might have done some great work under you know the prior regime but it changes so quickly and so uh, you've got to just be very adaptable
1: yeah no no that's that's great and you know let's say you're you're back at bracewell and you're you're billing your 25 100 3000 hour uh, <laughs> a year i'm sure that's what right. was going on and no. so when, when did you have kind of this idea of hmm maybe I'd like to be the client one day instead of, um, working this weekend or, or how, how when, when did you start thinking about, uh, putting on the Jersey? Uh, yeah, no,
0: I like the way you put that now. So, uh, it was about maybe three years in it was as I started to get to know the clients better and, um, see, uh, how much uh, better off they were simply by being closer to the action, right. They, they, yeah. they knew why we were doing the things we were doing right. Um, they 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 could anticipate things better, and um, you know they worked hard and I work hard right. Uh, it's different kind of work obviously yeah. uh, in house, but um, but no I I I sense that I would just learn a lot more if I was on the other side of it, and um, and that's just kind of the I just continue to follow you know, let 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 myself be grab you know kind of gravitate toward that work. And so, about the, the five-year mark, I started in earnest to find an in-house job. I thought at that point I had a good enough foundation to offer something um, to to a, a potential in-house you know, employer, right? And uh, but I also hadn't been, you know, in a law firm so long that that I I wouldn't be
1: uh, able to quickly uh, learn and adapt to a new environment. Yeah, no, that that's great. So you're you're on the other side. You put on the jersey. Um, what has your in-house journey been like? I know you've had a couple general counsel roles. Uh, when did you kind of look at the GC role and say, you know, I want to aspire to that? Was that day one on in-house or did you kind of feel that out and discover that as you, as you went along?
0: You know, I, I should have had that career aspiration all along. I, I didn't, uh, to be fair. Um, you know, for me, it was about doing really good work with really good people. Um, for a company I could uh, be proud of. And um, it wasn't until I'd been in-house maybe, I don't know, three or four years that I started thinking, well, you know, maybe I have what it takes uh, to be GC. Not that, you know, it's some something that's beyond the reach of really anybody. It's just, it, it was just, it wasn't something that really um, occurred to me until I'd been in-house for a few years. And I think what triggered it was that, you know, I I was starting to get more and more comfortable on the assignments I was I was being given. And, in the areas of focus I was asked to to be in charge of. And I also realized, you know, and I'm this is gonna sound really gross to say, but I, I found that people didn't mind working with me. You know, it's a lot grosser to say <laughs> people like working with me, so I'll say it that way. But that is true. I just kinda of yeah. felt like, wow, you know, the paralegals and the admins, and the other attorneys who um, have been assigned to me, they 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 dig it, you know, they kind of they like uh, the way I interact with them and and they don't mind me being their leader, uh, you know, and so I, I said, you know, maybe I could just continue doing this. And so that, that's, that's what really started to, I don't know, elevate my my focus a little bit. So I, by the way, I, I think it's phenomenal that, you know, you're doing this podcast and the ABA is supporting this because, you know, I, I'm sure I could have Learned a lot more, a lot faster if I had focused on it a lot earlier.
1: Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. One, one thing I want to say is um, just for the listeners, I have to say I'm like Brady's paralegals. He patiently put up with about 20 minutes of tech ah. issues that were my fault. So I can attest to uh, the greatness of his patience and leadership. He's been long suffering with me, but, but I, I appreciate that because the, the way this project started was I, for a while there, I was. A, it seemed like a kind of arrogant thing to say. I want to be a GC, uh, and then I started just talking to people about it, and uh, they they were supportive. Kind of like what you said. I think there are a lot of people that are similarly situated. So let's get them a resource. So so really appreciate you being on Brady and, and sharing your story because I it is my hope that it helps a lot of folks. Um, obviously, one of the questions from all of us on the other side who are aspiring to be in your chair. Um, what was it like? when you landed the first GC role, um, was it sweet? Was it, um, oh my gosh, you got to be careful what you ask for <laughs> or some, yeah, some it was, combination?
0: It was, it was more of the latter, but no, I mean, inst- I mean, right off the bat, it was, you know, for a brief moment, it was bliss. And I was like, yeah. wow, this is great, you know? Um, but very quickly, <laughs> you know, I, I started to, as, as so many of us do, you know, have a little bit of an imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. You know, I'm in my 30s, I'm, um, I've got a lot of responsibility now, and, you know, I, I, I got to make this count, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, and so, um, you know, I spent probably the first two years um, kind of figuring things out, right? And, and just, you know, I remember having lunch with outside counsel right after uh, I was appointed to be the GC of Pride, and I told him, listen, my my goal is just to be a mediocre general counsel. I would <laughs> settle for that right now. You know, I swear I could kind of know all the issues I should be spotting and and um, and make sure I'm leading the team and, and and helping outside counsel get what they need without outside counsel um, overbilling and you know causing yeah. uh, causing any waste from a budget standpoint, etc. So now I would never have told my CEO or my board that I. I, I I didn't think I was up to the mediocre general counsel standard um, because that's not, that's not how you uh, inspire or maintain confidence, right? right? But that's the reality. I mean, yeah. it, it, it worried me. I I, yeah. I had a lot of sleepless nights um, and I then I realized, listen, come on, you know, people do this all the time. You can do this. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, I was able to learn the ropes and, um, you know, I've, I've now been able to do it, I guess, 12 years. And so um I'm, I'm grateful though for that the initial uh kind of i don't know, rush of humility uh, because yeah. i needed that and i and frankly i need more of it occasionally yeah kind of, because you know the risk is you feel like you've done it and you've seen it all but you haven't you, you know everybody's got blind spots and so um but anyway yeah that that's i would
1: say you know it took a couple years to kind of settle in and feel like i really knew what i was doing well, I appreciate, that's, that's a great story. Um I appreciate that and, and I know we've kinda, I've got short on time because of the tech issues So I want to kind of transition a little bit to, you know, now that you've been on the other side, some, some skills and characteristics of being a successful GC. I know, you know, you've, you've talked about adaptability. Obviously that's a big one, but one other kind of theme I, I heard from you there is, you know, running, running the business, you know, not getting overbilled, managing external spend, developing internal talent. So what are some skills and characteristics that you would say, if you want to be a GC, here's, here's what you really need to to focus on or work on
0: yeah i think it's the things you mentioned i I think beyond that it's just making sure that um your team and it is a team right Uh, that your team is fully engaged and that's that's not a static thing obviously it's dynamic and you know you know, lawyers are people too, right? We all have, <laughs> uh, you know, health scares and yeah. family issues, and financial issues, and, and you know, just really um, just a- approaching your team uh, w- with a desire to stretch everybody, obviously, as you want to stretch yourself, but also recognizing that, um, you know, I mean, tech in the in this COVID era, right? I mean, this is really hard for a lot of people.
1: Yeah.
0: And so, what can you do to uh, support those folks? And how can you be a partner to them? I mean, that's the phrase we use a lot, you know, being a partner. That's that's what I, uh, that's the way I approach all of the reporting relationships I have. You know, to my CEO, I want to be his, his uh, business partner and legal advisor. Uh, to the folks who work directly for me, I want to be their partner. I want to help them succeed. I want to know uh, what I can do to help them in their roles. I want to know what I can do to help them financially. So um, they see it as something that you know, they want to do long term, right? Um and then you know, paralegals and adam, everybody are, are you know, the law firms. I mean, you gotta have a great partnership with your law firms. Yeah. If you treat them like they're just, you know, on the other end of a transaction, that's probably the way they'll treat you. And yeah. if you, you know, if you find if, if you very cynically say, you know, well, you need to treat, you know, your law firms like that because at the end of the day, you know, it's a zero sum game and either they win or you win. You know, you got the wrong law firm, in my view. If that's the, the attitude you have, there are a lot of great firms out there who will uh, who will take care of you if you take care of them. So, so that that's that's it. It's it, you know, it's treat treat the whole dynamic as a very human dynamic, and and then you know the rest of it has to fall into place. Obviously, you need to make sure technically you're zero defect. Uh, make sure that you're supporting the commercial objectives of the company, not just when it comes to the strategy, but also you know when it comes to cost control. And then um, just, you know, also just recognizing you, you know, your integrity and your uh, sense of, of honor has to be uh, upheld at all times. I mean, whether whether it's in your remit or not, you're considered a leader in ethics and compliance of the company. Yeah. And, um, and and that's something
1: that uh, hopefully people will always look to you for. Yeah, no, no, that's that's really helpful. I, I guess one theme I've picked up as I've had these conversations is it seems to me, and it may not be the right way to say it, and, and I do want to get to the tips for aspiring GCs here, here, but just curious in your thoughts, because I really appreciate the perspective you just brought. Is it seems as you go up in the in-house world and ultimately to the pinnacle of CLO or GC, it becomes less about law and more about All those other intangibles, managing people, managing spend, um, helping, you know, the achieving of strategic objectives, mitigating risk on the legal side. But I I don't know. How how have you seen that equation kind of work out? Is that is that a fair way to say it or would you say it a a different way?
0: I think it is. I think that's fair. I I think, though, occasionally, um, you know, given, you know, that that so much of, of what a GC does is oversight and um, and leadership, right? That, yeah. that the GC can occasionally become a bit detached from the day to day legal determinations that are being made. Yeah. And so it, it's, I think it's important to kind of kind of like um, kind of zoom in and, and then zoom zoom out as you need to to make sure that the the quality controls there and also to make sure you know you as as a practitioner stay sharp. Yeah. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you might be in a board meeting, right? Uh, or your CEO turns to you for some legal advice, and they don't want you to have to call every time, anyway, have to call somebody. Right. They, they want you to you know, answer the question, especially at a board meeting. You know, I mean, uh, you know, boards, of course, exercising their oversight function, they're looking for any potential issues. And if they've got a GC who is just an empty conduit, right? Yeah. To outside counsel or to his or her team. I think the board, you know, says, "Well, we've got kind of a phony here." <laughs> yes, yeah. the GC doesn't really know what they're doing, right? And so, yeah, so you know, but, but obviously, you can't be, uh, you know, the master of all these areas of the law. No one should even try to be because you can't be. So, um, so you know, it's okay to say I don't know, but but you know, what you want to do is make sure you uh, stay, you know, tethered to, to some extent to uh, you know the foundation of why you're there, and that is to, to provide zero defect legal advice.
1: Mm, yeah, no, that's good. And switching to kind of the tips, I, I appreciated what you said, you know, um, saying, hey, if there was something maybe like this podcast when I was first in the in house world, maybe I would have thought about it earlier and, and started working towards it. What, what are some tips, um, having been a general counsel for as long as you have and have made the journey to, to folks like me who are aspiring to get there?
0: So um, that's a great question. I, I think the the thing I wish I'd known earlier was uh, how important your, your network is. And, you know, Mm. so when you're in the law firm or when you're even in law school, you hear "Oh, you got a network, you know, the way I always heard that was, well, yeah, you got a network. So you can, you know, become a partner at a law firm and, and, you know, make a ton of money and, you know, have clients and all that stuff. And, and and again, I I never really thought, well, how valuable is the network when you go in house and it's incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. And so for instance, you know, I've got a team of twenty-five professionals at TransOcean in-house, and half of them have worked for me at other companies. Mm. In fact, one of them, uh, one of the finest lawyers I've ever worked with, he was the general counsel of a company for whom I, I did some legal work when I was an associate. He was mm. general counsel; I was an associate. I got to know him. I respected him. I didn't get to know him that well because, uh, because obviously, I was a young associate. But, but he's somebody I stayed in touch with and mm-hmm. had a lot of respect for, and so. You know, he retires GC of one company and, and he said, you know, I'm I'm still available and ready to get back into the game. And he said, hey, you have any interest? Absol- absolutely. And so a, a relationship that started, you know, 10 years prior to that, that I never would have thought would play out that way, played out in, in that unexpected but wonderful way. And so he's worked for me now for, I don't know, 10 or 11 years. And, uh, and so, you know, just building that network outside counsel, knowing who to call, uh, knowing again, you know. The, the, the firms that will treat you fairly and honestly and, and not just treat it as a transaction. That's what, something you can do in law school, ideally, but, you know, mm. obviously, you know, a lot of us are just kind of thinking about these issues as young attorneys. Right. And so, yeah, thinking about it as a first year or second year, think about, you know, being polite and respectful and biting your tongue when somebody deserves that, you, know, <laughs> <to hear, laughs> you know, to hear, you know, to hear, hear, it all from, from you. Right. Just
1: yeah.
0: Just be polite, you know, you know, we had a partner at Bracewell who famously always said, you know, just be nice. It don't cost nothing. Nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the chairs can switch to your point. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's amazing. <laughs> and it's amazing how many folks, big shot of, you know, associates and, you know, treated associates, you know, I thought disrespectfully. And yeah. I'm not going to name names. I wouldn't do that. But yeah. those are those are called I'll never call on those lawyers. And that's fine. It's not about being vindictive. It's just, listen, I, I know who you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and I and I know I know who my friends are. You know, by yeah. the time you've spent five years at a law firm, you, you pretty much know, at least, you know, at a medium sized firm like Bricewell, you pretty much knew, you know, who you could trust and who you had had a respect for. And uh, the folks, you know, who who didn't necessarily inspire that respect, that's okay. You just move on.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think the theme of networking and, and being respectful, regardless of where anybody is in, the, in that network, um, either above you or behind you on the journey, uh, that that's a really good word. And I know, um, I know I've kept you longer than I told you I would, Brady. So um, I really, really want to thank you for sharing your journey and, and hopefully we can continue this uh, conversation at some point down the road.
0: Anytime. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Brady. And uh, this brings us to the end of the conversation. Uh, Thank you, Brady. Thank you, Aspiring GCs, for joining us. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including expressions of interest of being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dphamm at gmail.com. That's dphamm at gmail.com. Thank you so much.